0: Welcome to another episode of Between Lewis and Lovecraft. Thank you so much for checking us out. This show is all about learning more about the authors that have inspired us and diving into the stories that they not only created, but lived as well. So join myself, Tyler Clausen, and my co-host, Hannah Ray Lambert, as we explore the worlds that live just out of reach. everybody i'm still sick
1: wow that yeah. was the most like man cold <laughs> over exaggerated cough i've ever heard guys i've been sick too but you don't hear me hacking my lungs out on the microphone you don't
0: get as sick as i do when i get sick i do it hard <laughs>
1: you do everything <laughs> way 110 yeah Tyler. that's me
0: i do everything 110 110 you know that For sure welcome to between lewis and lovecraft in the studio
1: yeah and this is my first time seeing the studio since it kind of got remodeled and boy has it been remodeled it looks amazing in here
0: yeah thank you so much uh frankie and i put a lot of work into it frankie is my business partner and um uh i did uh quite a bit of work to the studio to make it cooler um and more of a studio um i'm not even producing this episode because I don't have to.
1: We're so big that we have a an actual producer now.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, at least for this episode cuz I roped my little brother into it. Cameron, thank you. He's and He just gave us a thumbs up
1: through the glass. Yeah. Cuz this is a real studio. This is a real studio. Oh my god.
0: Yeah, we're finally one of those podcasts that can make one of the producer who's outside of the studio. And
1: he can't say anything about it because apparently his mic doesn't record. <laughs>
0: all he can do is cut this episode up and make it sound retarded.
1: <laughs> Don't he still do it, No, He's, he's still not paying care. attention. He's just on this phone. Okay.
0: <laughs> Welcome to Between Lewis and Lovecraft, where we talk about authors and the lives that they lived and all the fun stuff that they did and why they wrote what they wrote.
1: And I think uh, today's author has a lot of the why she wrote what she wrote,
0: Yeah, uh, which is
1: uncommon. Like we talk about a lot of authors who have these lives and then they write things that seem really
0: random. Yeah. Random. Like they just write it because. Yeah.
1: Or it's like they have their reasons, but it's not so blatant. They don't put their lives so much into yeah. their fiction. Yeah. But Shirley Jackson, the, the great, the iconic Shirley Jackson who we're talking about today, she's one of those ones who, even though she writes these Gothic horror fiction novels and short stories, like, her actual life is very deeply ingrained in the plot yeah, in a very obvious way. And
0: I think that ev- like, okay, so laying all the cards out on the table, I know nothing about this woman. I read, I read one of her books and that's it. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for applauding for <laughs> me read reading <laughs> on my literary podcast. Anyway. Yeah. I, and so I'm really excited to dive into her life because I don't know anything about her, but there's so much context in the one book that I read that I'm like, are these things a part of her life? Is this what she was trying to say? And I'm really are you going to tell interested. me which
1: book you read? Yeah, I can say. Okay, I, I didn't know if it was like going to be a big reveal no, later. I on. read,
0: I read um, the Haunting of Hill House. Oh, cool. And and I read it, <laughs> I read it because I watched the Netflix show.
1: I'm gonna have words about that later on, which is
0: not the same as the book. <laughs> we're gonna, Holy we're gonna cow. rant. I think
1: I put a line in the outline that's like Hannah's gonna rant here. Yeah,
0: great. <laughs> you sh- you'll definitely be ranting, but I found it interesting because probably one of the first scary movies ever uh, that I ever watched on my own, like I had seen stuff because of um, family members and like my dad and. Growing up, you know, we would watch some scary movies here and there. But the first scary movie I ever sat down to watch because I wanted to watch a scary movie by myself was like it was like 1999, uh, uh, Haunting of Hill House of some sort. Oh, the
1: bad remake. (laughs) Well,
0: yeah, that's what everyone says. Bad remake. but. That was freaking eight. It's almost. It's so much closer to the book than the than the TV show was.
1: Yeah, but the '66 movie is the one that everyone's like, "Oh, this movie's the shit." This is it? Is, yeah.
0: Okay, I never saw that one, but I was, but I was genuinely interested as I'm reading the book about how like kind of well that this terrible movie did at putting scenery and images into my head for me to read this book. Mm. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be a big part of the conversation.
1: Awesome. Well, let's start at the very beginning. Wait, hold on. As we always do. This
0: is bugging me. The curtains have to close in my
1: studio. I don't know if Tyler's going to keep this part, but let the record show that he just got up to move some curtains over a door. It was bothering me. <laughs> okay.
0: Look at the aesthetic now. Now it's like, ooh, now where's it's the like, door? like, how
1: did we get... Uh, no, I feel trapped now. I'm very claustrophobic. Welcome to the haunting
0: of the studio. <laughs>
1: <laughs> where's the exit? Okay. Let's do this. I need to drink of tea. He's drinking tea, so I'm just going to start at the beginning do it shirley jackson was born december fourteenth, 1916 in san francisco so she grew up in california and her family was very well off during the great depression actually they were very like upper middle class um and when she was still quite young they moved to burlingame which i guess is kind of a wealthier san francisco suburb um and her mom was very different than her her mom was um Kind of like a society type. Uh, she always nagged Shirley to dress nicely, um, and in her teens, even like ambushed her once and took her to the salon to get her hair permed. <laughs> really? So yeah, her mom was like very beautiful, and Shirley yeah. was Shirley was you know beautiful too. But she was big boned, and a lot of the things that her mom made her wear didn't mm. look good on her. Um, and they just were totally different. And her little brother fit right in with her perfect family, and so. Mm obviously a very tumultuous black sheep a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that was obvious even in her writings as young as age nine when she wrote a Mother's Day poem that kind of hinted very sophisticatedly at these like stressful undertones in their relationship. And I'm like, a nine year old wrote this. I couldn't even write this now. (laughs) Um, And like it was the strain was obvious with her best friend in childhood, um, who was the daughter of a gardener. Um, even though her mom never said she couldn't hang out with the kid, she never got to come over to the house because, yeah. you know, she's the gardener's kid, right? She's not, not, she's not fit cool for enough. us to hang out yeah. with. Um, so yeah, that was going on. <coughs> Shirley wrote a lot of diaries when she was younger and she wrote like, um, multiple diaries at the same time. So she kept a date book that she kept like observations about society and her neighborhood and the people in it. And then she had a different diary that she wrote entirely in the form of love letters to this crush she had in high school. It was an entirely one sided crush, but the diary was just entirely love letters. And I'm like, that is so interesting. So she
0: would just go around and write in a diary full of observations of just people. Just people. Could you imagine living in that town where just this girl and you're like (laughs) and you're like, hey, little Shirley. How's it going? And she just looks up at you, makes a little (laughs) note, and then keeps walking. And you're like, what did she write about me? What did she write about me? And, like, you just live your life never never knowing until you read a book one day.
1: And you're like, oh, I said that line once yeah. and now I'm portrayed as an angry villager. you <laughs> as
0: a character. Oh, man. That be
1: would great. be stressful. But I have a feeling she was a little more uh, covert about writing in her diary. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: I just want to point out right now, this is a good moment because I see your notebook here. This is not fair. <laughs> this is not fair at all.
1: Okay. So he means that I have an entire like section of notes that i forgot to add to our shared document she's talking
0: about (laughs) shirley jackson who has a diary several diaries and she's got her own freaking diary of shirley jackson right here a notebook full of notes from college because she's already done the research no
1: no no this isn't from (laughs) it's about her high school through college years not my college notes although i did read shirley jackson before but Yeah, I'm working with a little extra material. (laughs) Sorry, Tyler.
0: (laughs) I'm just sitting here with a glass of whiskey, hoping (laughs) to talk about the difference between the movie and the
1: book. We'll get there eventually. Just let me talk fast. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, keeping diaries full of observations, which is a very good thing to do if you want to be a writer, because then you have all this material to go back on. I need to keep a diary.
0: I think that's actually a really good, uh, it's really interesting um, way of doing that. and it's something that uh, my cousin and I one time we just took a trip to the airport and we would challenge each other. We'd say, you know we'd look at so we'd watch people coming out of the airport going in and all that. And then I'd point to someone and be like that person. and she would sit there for like five minutes and write a whole backstory of what this person is doing at the airport why they're wearing what they're wearing and all that. And she'd do the same thing to me. And then we would, you know, kind of give notes. And That's cool. It was re- It was a really fun writing exercise of, of almost exactly what Shirley Jackson is doing.
1: I'll do that sometimes where, like, if I'm at a really boring meeting or something, or, like, <laughs> sitting somewhere alone and feeling a little awkward, I'll just start writing down observations about the setting or the people around me. Not necessarily making things up, but just, like, <laughs> jotting down descriptions of them and Craig's stuff. Craig's
0: in the corner being a little
1: bitch right now. <laughs> exactly. No, I don't know their name's Tyler. I'm not going to name him Craig. Oh, right. yeah.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> but yeah. So, if you want to be a writer, I mean, tip number 1 then, I guess, is yeah. keep, a, keep diary, a diary or at least write some observations down. Mm-hmm. Um so then toward the end of her high school career, her family moved to Rochester, New York, and they actually like sailed over there on a boat. Really, they did it the old-fashioned. Well, way. I mean, yeah. this is
0: old-fashioned. This is old-fashioned. Like it's the twenties, so. yeah.
1: <laughs> so long trip, uh, and it was right before her senior year. She hated it immediately. Um, she struggled to fit in. She missed California, mm. even though she seems like she should be a very East Coast person because, like, all creepy writers seem like they should be from the East yeah, Coast. She just not... <laughs> got
0: Lovecraft in your brain and Stephen King, right? And you are like, oh, Edgar Allan
1: Poe. And, yeah, yeah. you are
0: right. Everyone from the West Coast yeah, should just be he... writing about whatever. About
1: surfing USA and stuff. <laughs> like, come on.
0: <laughs> if you're from the West Coast, you're writing about the Beach Boys. Yep.
1: Sucks for me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, she struggled to fit in in New York. Um, she finally made a small group of, like, equally awkward girlfriends by, like, Christmas break or whatever. Mm. Um, and then at the end of the school year, she applied to University of Rochester. Um, and unlike most women who at the time were going to college to meet a husband, she actually stated on her application, <laughs> she's like, I want a career. Yeah. And she wanted it to either be law, journalism or some sort of literary work, which I right. thought were interesting choices, but go Shirley. Um, but, she knew what she was after. Yeah. And she was sure she was going to support herself. Um, so... She got to um, University of Rochester and she only stayed for one year, I think, and then switched to Syracuse, um, which was then where she really started to kind of make it in her own way as like an intellectual and a a literary um, style person. She got involved with like the the publications there Mm. and started to really work on her short stories. Um, And so at the end of her first term there, she got a short story published in the class magazine. And it found its way into the hands of Stanley, um, Stanley Hyman, who uh, was in the same grade as her. And after he read the magazine, he put it down and demanded to know who Shirley Jackson was because he was going to marry her.
0: Wow. <laughs> Which
1: is the coolest, like... How we met story ever? Yeah, <laughs> like I
0: read something she wrote, and I demanded to know. I who demanded
1: she is. to track her down. Yeah. So Stanley is the person who, without a doubt, had the greatest impact on her life. Obviously. Yeah. He would go on to become her husband after all of this. Spoiler. Spoilers. Yeah. Right. Nobody knows the story <laughs> of Shirley Jackson and and Stanley Hyman, but, um, he he was like. I think he was well suited for her intellectually. Um, he was you know he would become a literary critic yeah. so he was very into literature obviously. Um, and
0: he, he tried to do his own writing right?
1: His own writing well mostly critiques. Oh, okay. So he published several books of like criticisms and stuff. Okay. Um. So he, he did do some like fiction and I think he may have dabbled in poetry a little bit but it was usually a different style. Sure. Okay. Um, so he was like her number one fan even though he would Criticize some of her stuff. Sure, um, he he was a champion of her work. Um,
0: well, that's cool. I mean, yeah. you you really have to, I don't know, like with Rebecca and I, like she her opinion of my work is the most important opinion to me. Um, and then and then I'm pushing her constantly to write and to create things. So I I think that there's that connection for us. So I I think if you are that creative, if it's something that that is that important to you, that it's your life, you're a critic or you're going to college in the 1920s or 30s to be this thing, like it's a big deal. So your spouse is probably going to have to share that interest with you in order to really keep that spark going.
1: And I think that's probably where you want the relationship comparison to, <laughs> to Ed. Ed yeah. Because Stanley was also an epic asshole. <laughs> he cheated on her all the freaking time. Really? All the time. He was like this communist, uh, very principled communist guy who was sure. like, you know, open relationships are are the only true way to have to be a communist or whatever. What? So he would just like unabashedly go out and stick around and tell her about it what and then when she would get mad he would be like i don't know why you're so upset (laughs) and yeah really yeah that's insane he um at one point he even hooked up with one of her friends while she was in the next room what and after she was like screaming at him he was so shaken by her reaction that he wrote to one of his friends asking for advice because he thought she was mentally unstable Mentally unstable? Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, she's freaking pissed,
1: dude. Because you keep cheating on her. Stop putting your dick in other girls. <laughs> it's not that hard. Then she won't get mad. So yeah, it was. I mean, even though he would write her like these epic love letters and stuff, and be be very romantic, but then he had this completely other side where it's like, mm, I see no problem with with sleeping around. It was just sex. I don't. I think like he. I don't know if it was a sign of the times and like you know the the free-spirited artists of the world but Mm. he he just had this philosophy that it's like oh sex is just sex like it doesn't mean anything wow so yeah on summers when she would go um back home or on family trips back to san francisco um, one time he wrote that he slept with someone and forgot a condom so he was afraid she might be pregnant now and then he in that letter Enclosed a few more chapters of a book he was working on for Shirley to comment on. I'm like, dude. What
0: the hell? That's insane. This dude has. He is a gall. It's not even that. It's like, it's the fact that it's not even gall. It's because he's not doing it to be a dick, he's doing it because he doesn't understand a, a, normal human relationships. <laughs> Like,
1: Or he thinks he's superior to that. He's like, oh, I don't yeah, have like, to be like I'm, a normal I'm person. I'm of a higher
0: philosophy. I don't need to. But then don't be with someone who who does want to restrict a relationship to that. I guess that's the problem. It, at the end of the day, if you're going to be in an open relationship, it has to be mutually open. Yeah, right? but like, there's
1: no indication that she ever slept she with anyone else. She was
0: not for that. She was pissed that he's dicking around. I love that you said that. I that's like my new favorite term. Well, now.
1: we're not in the book nook now, so yeah, we don't so have to hold back.
0: It. But like, yeah, that's it, it's the fact that that he is he is he doesn't understand how relationships work enough to be considerate of her. So like, so he doesn't care that his ideal relationship is not the same as hers. No but he loves her so much, but it's a selfish love. I don't know, man, that's hard. That's gonna bug the shit out of me. Right? Every time
1: you think of their relationship, you're like, oh, he's a dick. He is a dick. (laughs) Um, So not for that reason, but Shirley's parents never approved of Stanley. Uh, No way. (laughs) Oh, I forgot to mention at the beginning, Stanley was Jewish, but also like a militant atheist. So Jewish mm. heritage um, and ca- he's
0: a he's a Jewish communist atheist. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there's
1: a lot going on there.
0: Yeah. A very randy Jewish communist. <laughs> yes. Atheist.
1: Yeah. Um, and at that time, casual anti-Semitism was pretty much the norm in America. Mm. Um, and her mom wasn't necessarily like prejudiced in a racial or religious context. Um, she was mostly just concerned about the social implications. Mm. Um, and just conforming. So her parents tried all sorts of tactics to try to keep them from getting married once graduation was coming around, um, including her dad offering to use his connections in the printing business to get her a publishing job. Um, But they ended up getting married in 1940. Why did she like him so much? Because I feel like sometimes if someone is matched with you intellectually, you kind of forget about all of their terrible qualities. Like... (sighs) She probably felt like she could talk to him a lot about her work and about creative stuff and about.
0: And there's nobody else that she can talk to about this.
1: I mean, she had a couple of, one of her good friends in college and was a French exchange student who ended up going back to France. And this was in World War Two times or coming up on World War Two. Yeah. Yeah, tough times to have international friendships, sure. so and obviously her mom wasn't a very supportive person.
0: It just bothers me so much. Right? It really does.
1: Aren't you sad for Shirley? I
0: am. I'm also wondering what her state of mind is. Like, we can understand Lovecraft. We can understand his state of mind because he is um, a racist because that's the, the period that he was in and because his family was racist. Um, and he, his family was mentally unstable. So he had a kind of slight mental unstableness to him. Um, and so you can see some of the decisions that he made. Lovecraft, uh, Lewis, the same thing. Like he grew up in a certain household and he broke away from it and then he came back to it and then he kind of did his own thing. Still not sure on, on his relationship <laughs> status with a lot of stuff, but that's, Nobody his, is. you know, <laughs> And then we see other authors and, and, you know, Neil Gaiman, I can analyze him and and see that his creative ability is, is, um, is very much attuned to his analytical ability. And so we see what he does and why he does, because he wants to be a punk, but he's a very smart punk. And, you know, so that's what he's doing with his work. I don't understand Shirley's mindset. Because she is very smart, obviously, and she is very determined. And then you, and then randomly, she just meets a guy, like and and just, and is willing to go against her parents' wishes to be with him. Well, and it's not like no she
1: cares about her parents'
0: wishes. True, she does. She's never really cared for what they thought, and that's totally fine. But. I, I just don't see what he brings to the relationship other than, like, he likes her writing. Is she so egotistical that <laughs> that just liking her writing is what makes her love him?
1: I mean, he's a huge romantic, too, so he's a sweet talker. I mean, yeah, I love doesn't make sense, Tyler. No, it doesn't. You just... Sometimes you see someone's work in a magazine... And then you just fall in just love like, with them. I have to be like, with this. I don't
0: know who they are, but, <laughs>
1: but we're going to be together forever. Yeah. Um, so they ended up getting married in a friend's apartment in Manhattan in 1940. It was a very casual affair, very much my kind of wedding. Um, they had no fancy dress and uh, Stanley and the invitation wrote, uh, skip the the wedding, come for the reception.
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah. So,
1: yeah, they they were very cash about it. Um. And then they moved to New York City for a little bit, um, and then kind of, they moved around a lot during her life. They flip-flopped yeah. between New York um, and then a rustic cabin in New Hampshire, Ooh. and then Syracuse where um, Stanley re- resumed some of his poor treatments of Shirley. Uh, so back to, to the poor treatments around, being that around, mostly he's cheating, cheating on, on her. her. He could he also be, like, very critical sometimes, too.
0: He wasn't, like, physical or anything like that, right? No. Nah. Was, like, I'm asking, like, like I'm going to do something about it.
1: Yeah, right. You're going to go beat him up. Dig, this guy dig him better up and fucking
0: wise up, bro. <laughs>
1: I'm coming for him. <laughs> no. Shirley, Shirley always complained that he was neglectful instead of abusive. Wow. It's,
0: it's scary how close this is to Lovecraft and Sarah, his wife. Oh, yeah? Yeah. At, Stand, at the same time period, too.
1: Yeah, yeah. Maybe that was the thing Wait. back then, just all sorts of relationship turbulence. Yeah. <laughs> um, But in 1942, she had her first son. Um, and before his birth, she actually wrote something that indicated she kind of hoped that it would bring her that companionship and love that was missing from her relationship with Stanley. So she wrote, which I thought was kind of surprising for her because she seemed so like strong and independent, but she yeah. wrote maybe when I have my baby, I can talk to it and it will love me and it won't grow up mean. And I was just like, Oh, that is so sad. That is
0: so sad. She but, was like so lonely. It goes against literally exactly what you just said. Like, stanley's a romantic yeah and it's like he's obviously not
1: well okay he's a romantic sometimes (laughs) and then other times he's gone screwing some chick and (laughs) the
0: companionship i get like you can be a romantic and not a good companion at the same time like
1: i mean i'm never around but when i
0: am it's it's a good time sort of thing and i think that i think that that's really sad it reminds me of michael scott in oh the office because he's like i i want to grow up and have 100 kids so i can have 100 <laughs> friends and they can't say no to me
1: oh my god i'm so uncomfortable with this comparison <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it's true like uh, some people have kids because they got to fill that void in their life
1: yeah and they had three more kids um one three more three total. They had four total two wow. boys, two girls. Okay. Um, she basically had one kid every three years until 1951. So Jeez. she was on a rotation, and she sometimes joked that they kind of fit her, um, r- or her publishing schedule, too. Yeah. yeah, um, so Stanley, surprising no one here, had a very hands off <laughs> parenting approach.
0: Oh, no way, yeah. um, but
1: surprising me, Shirley was actually a really good mom. Uh, unlike her own mother, she was very affectionate and warm. Um, and she was kind of a creative mom, you know, had lots of activities. And at one point, uh, you may recognize this line from from The Haunting of Hill House uh, with the, the cup of stars. Yeah. She painted stars on the ceiling of one of their houses oh, for the kids. Cool. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, she was she was really good at being a mom and she liked being a mom, which I think she had some some tension with that fact, because at that time you were either a mom or you were one of the bohemian career woman types like so she didn't really fit in in either circle because she was both. Yeah. I mean, hers and Stanley's friends were all like, you know, single or if they were married, they weren't having kids. They were doing everything they could to not have kids. They were kind of living that that forever young life. Mm. Um, And here she was being a great writer, but also she loved being a mom. Yeah. So I think that's an interesting contrast. I think that's
0: great, though, because you like. You see so many women nowadays who they like they have to choose a career or being a mom. And I think that a lot of women are looked down on for being moms. And and I think that's unfair because it's something that some women really want to do. Some guys really just want to be dads and they go out and work a job because that's what it takes to be a good dad. But that's not what they want to do. Yeah. They want to go play baseball and, you know, do the sports and the activities and things and stuff like that. And so I I think that there's it's really cool to have someone who if you're if you are a mom and you want to be a writer like Shirley Jackson is such a cool inspiration or should be a role model for you, Mm -hmm. Um, not someone like Stephanie Myers, (laughs) who like. Uh, Stephanie
1: Meyer is probably a lovely person sure we'll do
0: an episode on her one day one day (laughs) we get to say that in every episode someday
1: we're just gonna keep going until we die guys yeah uh
0: and then but like yeah if if it's something where like you're you have always wanted to write a book but being a mom has gotten in the way or your career has gotten in the way or, or just working a day job so you can feed the family has gotten in the way I think looking at the story of Shirley Jackson should be something that should inspire you and, and point out like look if this is really what you want to do if this is really your passion you can do it like she did it she did it and she had a fight to the nail to prove herself, but she did it.
1: She did. So, um, uh, around the early 1940s was when she started to write professionally getting her works in publications like The New Yorker, uh, Saturday Evening Post and Ladies Home Journal. Ladies home so journal. she writes these super dark things but then she also writes for women's <laughs> magazines which I think is also super interesting. Was she
0: writing the super dark things for the women's no. magazines? Okay. So
1: um, there's a couple later works that are kind of like uh, <laughs> more oriented to that crowd that also incorporate paranormal stuff but I think this was just like just women's women's writing yeah so i'm like that's so weird that she was able to navigate kind of both publishing worlds um in 1945 the the family resettled to north bennington vermont which is where she would spend most of her later life um and it's kind of this weird little village basically and i think it's still a pretty small town um, and originally Shirley tried to be on good terms with the villagers. She even joined the PTA, which I can't imagine being on the PTA with Shirley Jackson. That sounds amazing. Why? Cause I don't, she just doesn't seem like she'd be one of the mom gang girls and she probably wasn't, but
0: I feel like she'd be the leader of the, uh, mom of of gang the PTA.
1: Yeah. Uh, I can't see her debating like cookie, like bake sales or anything. Really?
0: I could see her being like, look guys. We're going to do it my way or else I'm going to write a book about it. <laughs> and you're all going to be characters that die.
1: That die. Right? All <laughs> oh, the characters. So even though she was like getting involved in stuff like this, the locals did not accept her or Stanley. They gossiped about how she kept her home. It wasn't yeah. clean enough for them. Uh, they gawked at the people who visited Shirley and Stanley, including friends who were gay, Jewish, and black. Hmm. Um, at one Wait. point.
0: All three? They were all three? No. Or, all no. Three?
1: <laughs> yeah. If they had one that was all three, that would be impressive. But no. They had friends <laughs> that were very diverse. And yeah. including at one point, um, this author his last name is Ellison, I think. I can't remember his first name, but this author um who would go on to be quite famous, he stayed with them for a while and um she commented that she thought it was the first black man the villagers had ever seen. Really? <laughs> yeah. Because this hmm. was, you know, mid 40s. Yeah. Rural Vermont. Um okay. so yeah. yeah. I guess. So, um, they are like these yeah. colorful outsiders who've moved in.
0: That's interesting. And and it's it, I mean why is why are these people her friends? Is is a question that I'd have.
1: Well, there's st- the people who are visiting are one friends that they made like in New York or when yeah. they were in college. They yeah. they always had lots of visitors coming over.
0: And so like are these are these the same type of people that her family would hang out with?
1: No, right? no, they're like hers and Stanley's friends. Yeah, like the the artists. And, and so it
0: it almost is a, a a sort of bohemian bohemian lifestyle of like a, accepting the weird and the odd and and specifically being um upfront obtuse about the oddities because it's the oddities that make us unique Mm -hmm. um so it's just again i'm just trying to get into the mindset like is it only stanley or is it stanley and shirley
1: well i think it's her too because even as young as her childhood you know she was friends with the gardener's daughter and stuff and yeah she she didn't fit in with all the the cool kids and stuff um she's like the anti-lovecraft she is like the (laughs) anti-lovecraft right (laughs) i think she would respect that comparison probably or uh contrast um (coughs) but yeah so i mean having that kind of revolving door of colorful characters moving in and out of their lives um, and kind of being ostracized by the villagers yeah. is something that's super apparent in a lot of her works where, where, you know, someone who's different will come into town and then be basically driven out by the townsfolk. Yeah. Um, so I think you can see, see that in her life. Um, so while they were living there, Stanley worked on the faculty at um, Bennington College, which is a school for women there. But after his first full year, he was let go because the college president found um, his personality abrasive.
0: Oh, really? Shocking, right? No way.
1: Um, So then he had more time to work on his book, but he was getting barely any money from the New Yorker and had to ask for loans. Shirley was struggling to get more work published, uh, leading to further financial strain. And she had a falling out with her agent, whom she accused of slacking off. So then she was (laughs) agentless. (laughs) Um, And... A lot of it was that short stories are harder to get published than novels. Yeah. Novels sell more copy. Well,
0: I feel like it's the opposite. I they're feel like harder people... to get
1: like an agent to sell because short novels stories. sell more copies mm. than short stories. So yeah. novels were in higher demand. I'm not sure if they are now.
0: I just I don't understand. I I've from us researching these authors, what I've noticed is that. Most authors start by selling short stories and then work their way up to a book deal or or selling their first novel.
1: I think what she was going for was, like, publish short stories, like, standalones, not necessarily in a magazine Mm. at this point. Because, yeah, she'd already had a lot of stuff in magazines. Um, She was trying to get, like, some actual money coming in. Yeah. Um, So her new agent was really pushing her to give him a novel that he could then turn into a 2 part book deal with like a novel and then a short story collection yeah um so she finally came through got her first novel the road through the wall published in 1948 um and that draws a lot on her observations of society in burlingame california and also society's obsession with fitting in it Mm. didn't sell well but she didn't seem disheartened at that time she got her first novel published i mean that's a big deal
0: have you read that one
1: i haven't read that i really want to because and I forgot to introduce the biography that I read. Yeah, I read the biography um, Shirley Jackson: A Rather Haunted Life by Ruth Franklin. It came out pretty recently, like within the past few years. Okay, it is so good. Like if yeah. you're a hardcore Shirley Jackson fan, you should read this. It's
0: or again, like I was saying, someone who if you're yeah. looking for an inspiration, yeah, or you know someone
1: who's a mom who's like, oh, I want to write. Give her this. Yeah, seriously. If you're looking for relationship advice, do not give them this. <laughs> well (laughs) maybe sometimes
0: the best example is the bad example yeah right i mean
1: but this is this is a really good biography and it's gotten like a lot of critical acclaim too so yeah um and in it uh the author ruth franklin like gives kind of summaries of all of her her major works and she gave one of the road through the wall i don't want to give any spoilers but it sounds really cool i was like i'm digging this plot and the the ending so i'm going to read it later um So, yeah, it wasn't super successful at the time, Um, but in the same year, one of her best known works um, was published, which is The Lottery.
0: And we're going to talk more about that after we take a quick break. Looking to buy a new car, but you got terrible credit? Boy, can we help you out. Come on down to the Book Nook in Camby, Oregon and get yourself a brand new or used book. That way, when you're sitting at the bus stop waiting for a bus, you can reach for your certified, pre-owned copy of The Handmaid's Tale. If that Uber driver is talking too much, just pull out your brand new hatchback, I mean, hardback copy of The Wheel of Time. Tired of staring at strangers on the train and possibly locking eyes with a bum who will inevitably ask you for money? grab your trade-in value copy of Atlanta Shrugged. Want to create some distance between the creepy Ted Bundy-like guy that picked you up on the side of the road? Well, just bury your face in the classic edition of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Better yet, don't hitchhike, cause that's like super scary and dangerous. The Canby Book Nook is your place to find used and new copies of sci-fi and romance and fantasy and all kinds of things classic and contemporary cookbooks and graphic novels you can find them on second avenue in camby oregon or just go to booknacanby.com. And we're back from that commercial break.
1: I hate that you did that. Why? (laughs) There was no commercial.
0: There's going to be. I'm going to put something there.
1: I'm going to listen to make sure there's a commercial. I'm going to put
0: something. If it's nothing else, it's going to be for the book nook.
1: Okay. Well, before Tyler rudely interrupted with a commercial break that's not paid for. (laughs) um, (laughs) They (laughs) they paid for
0: our our website. So they deserve something. They
1: deserve whatever commercial Tyler is going to make. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Um... So The Lottery. The Lottery. The Lottery. Um, It was one of the most successful short stories of the era. It ended up being adapted for radio, television, and the stage. Now it's a staple of U.S. public schools education. It was definitely um, on my reading list in, I think, sophomore year or something. We read it for class. Uh, Really fucking weird story. Yeah,
0: that's great. (sighs) I have no idea what this book is. Oh,
1: it's a short story.
0: You, you, You went into such detail about how knows about this not book.
1: Everybody knows about it, but it's. Hu- I mean, it's. But I have literally, no idea what it is. We went to the same high school. How did I, you not have to read this? I avoided so much work <laughs> at school. <laughs> I didn't
0: enjoy books till college. <laughs> That's well, not true. I enjoyed books, but I I enjoyed my specific books. So
1: okay, well, for those like Tyler who were not forced to who read into the, the Narnia lottery, and
0: not the the lottery.
1: The lottery is. Is iconic, sir. Wow,
0: (laughs) the stink eye that I just got from her when she said that was, like, so mean.
1: Shout out to whoever my 10th grade, or it (laughs) might have been freshman English, maybe it was Mrs. Zerkes, but we definitely had to read it. Hi, Mrs. Zerkes. Did you really? Yeah, I did. Did she like you? Yeah, Maybe. Oh, I was going to say no.
0: (laughs) I wrote a poem once and I shared it with her and I think she might have thought I was gay because I wrote it.
1: (laughs) So she probably did like you then. Yeah, probably.
0: I don't know what the poem was. Don't ask me to recite it, but it was really gay.
1: (laughs) 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 Please send us money to find Tyler's like really gay poem. But yeah, so the lottery for those who aren't familiar, um, it's a, a kind of. It's not scary. It's like suspenseful and then has like a weird twist at the end um, Mm. about a small town yearly ritual. um, And it's like a lot of buildup. You don't know what's going on. And then spoiler alert for those of you who haven't read it in the like Uh 70 years since it's been out Uh at the very end. It turns out the lottery is a ritual in which families draw names or like straws or whatever. And then. They're sectioned off into a group and everyone in the family takes a little slip of paper and the one with the black dot gets stoned to death by all the villagers, what? including their own children. Holy cow. What? The end. That's it? This is what they're having children read Is this school. like a dystopian future type thing? No, it's like, well, I mean, it was the 40s, style. I don't know. Um, but in, in I don't
0: know. What's the setting of this?
1: A small village somewhere in, in the world.
0: In the 1940s?
1: It seems like contemporary for the time. They're wow. talking about, um, you know, it's a lot of villagers talking to each other about like the yearly happenings. They're like, oh, we're all seeing each other and oh, think the corn is gonna be good this year. And uh, someone mentions that other villages are giving up the lottery. And someone's like, that's a terrible idea. Mm. And then at the end, you're like, no, that's a great idea. Everybody should stop doing this immediately. <laughs> 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 so, with that in mind that story generated the most mail in the history of the new yorker with many readers writing in expressing confusion about the underlying meanings (laughs) and anger over the disturbing (laughs) gruesome outrageous and just quote utterly pointless ending
0: wow
1: shirley put the final total somewhere around 300 letters and said only 13 of them were kind and those were mostly from her friends
0: yeah i wonder what people in the 1940s would have thought of infinity wars
1: probably nothing good yeah they would have been, like, been this dumb. Duh. who's this purple guy yeah <laughs> <laughs> but despite all of that reader outrage this story was uh, anthologized almost immediately and was really well respected in literary circles um, and shirley jackson agreed to do a recording of it 11 years later on an album um, and it's the only recording of her voice that still exists. We looked for this. We both looked for this. We can't find it. So if anyone knows where this exists, I Please suspect it maybe in. it's in the Library of Congress and they just haven't digitized it because I couldn't find it online anywhere. But Yeah.
0: And if Hannah can't find it, then I'm not going to find it.
1: <laughs> because, That's not true. Because I
0: have a hard time finding Google.com sometimes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> he gives me too much credit, but, yeah, if anybody knows i I would love to hear Shirley Jackson read it because, um, in in the biography, they were talking about the recording, and they said she was drinking whiskey to like kind of calm what? her nerves. and you could hear the the glass or the ice clinking in the glass every that's once in a awesome. while. I was like, that's so cool, oh man um, as a
0: as an as an audio guy, as a podcast podcast producer, like, I'm nerding out about that pretty hard.
1: <laughs> so the person who produced it for her was actually her son because she was already starting to get a little bit agoraphobic and didn't like going out, mm. and especially not to New York City at that time. Yeah. Um. So her son did it for her on a reel-to-reel recorder at Bennington College. Um. So yeah. So he kind of like took it upon himself to do that for his mom, and he was really nervous about it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that's the only recording of her voice that still exists today. Um. And she was asked about it constantly, but Shirley never did give a consistent answer about the meaning of the story, even to her kids. She would give them different answers all the time. Really? And sometimes just say, like, mm, it's whatever you make of it or whatever.
0: I mean, from what it sounds like, it sounds like it's to mess with people.
1: I mean, right? <laughs> I Even having read it in high school, I reread it for this episode, and I was like, oh, my God, this is... Like I was getting a little stressed out reading it
0: because you already knew I knew what was gonna happen, yeah. but I was like,
1: "Oh yeah, this is building to something really messed up." Yeah, but it's, I, I think the first time I was caught off guard because it's just so subtly building up to it.
0: Right, you're, you're like, when is this gonna get good? Yeah, when I'm is like, this gonna get good? And then out of nowhere, you're like, "Wait, what the hell just happened?"
1: I'm like, "Why are all these people bringing like a little pebble to the to the town square?" Yeah, and then later I'm like, "Oh shit, <laughs> 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 that's why." <laughs> Um so yeah so so that that was a big one um and this is kind of when her career is really starting to get going it's also when she's getting a lot of attention sure and some of that attention was a little negative or like Am I reading this right yeah, in the notes? It, she was often referred to as a witch. People would like make jokes about it. One but cr- the
0: but the num- the part B of this Virginia Werewolf?
1: Yeah. Time Magazine called her the, because there's an author, Virginia Wolf. Uh, So they called her the Virginia Virginia Werewolf of seance fiction instead Mm. of science fiction. Got it. Another critic said um, she wrote her stories not with a pen, but with a broom. Are these
0: people trying to be funny or are they trying to be hurtful?
1: I don't know, honestly. Because
0: it's not hurtful. It's almost it's funny to me.
1: Yeah, and I think she found it funny too, because she, she was kind of like not a fake person, but she kind of would affect different personalities. Um so she would claim to be embarrassed by the witchcraft talk, but in reality she loved it. She thrived on it. She she loved telling a story about the publisher Alfred Knopf. Is that or I, I don't know, Knopf, who was um, I mean, big publishing company now. Um, he was in a big contract dispute with Stanley at one point about his book. Um, and then Knopf went skiing in Vermont and broke his leg. And Shirley liked to tell uh, reporters that it was her doing <laughs> through her witchcraft. And that the reason she waited for him to go skiing in Vermont was because you aren't allowed to do witchcraft across state lines.
0: Oh my so, god. Like,
1: she wasn't bothered by people calling her a witch obviously. That's like,
0: insane. That's so good though. She's
1: got such a good sense of humor. Yeah,
0: for real. Like <laughs> she's so willing to accept the weird and the odd and and everything that she can even take it in on herself because you see so many hypocrites who are like, "Oh yeah, I love everybody and and I'm so so accepting." <laughs> and then the second that you start to like put anything on them then they're like no 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 no, no. i'm not i'm not, like that, I'm not no. like that you know and it's like no it's it's she's accepting of it yeah. like that's what i i love that
1: and she turns it around on them she's like yeah. I'm, I'm gonna make up my own stories about me being a witch then
0: <laughs> no so, that's super yeah. cool
1: like that's fun um, so then around this time they ended up moving to westport connecticut um Part of the reason was that they wanted to be closer to New York since her career was taking off a little more. She needed to go to New York and it Mm. was like a five hour train ride or something from where they lived in Vermont. Yeah. Um. So initially she was pretty happy being in Connecticut, but then with it being closer to New York City, Stanley would normally spend two days a week there working at the New Yorker office and Mm. partying.
0: No way. No
1: way. So he was... It wasn't super clear if he was actually hooking up with other women, but Shirley thought he was. And she actually started- I mean,
0: based off of his history, why wouldn't you think that?
1: She is not crazy to be thinking these things.
0: that doesn't come out of nowhere.
1: Yeah, so around this time she started um, writing uh, her thoughts about divorce. Mm. She wrote a letter to Stanley arguing that she would leave him eventually because he belittled and neglected her and lavished attention on other women he didn't seem bothered by it. <laughs> Shocking. Um, uh, so, so they were having some strain here. Obviously, yeah, because he can
0: move on. Like, I'm. He can just move on. He so can, she needs to just own up to it and just be like, "All right, you know what? You can move on. Let's just fucking get it over with.
1: Just get it over with. Uh, But but they didn't. uh, (laughs) This is annoying me so much. (laughs) (laughs) Annoying you? Think about poor Shirley. (laughs) But, Uh. I mean, she loves him. She can't leave him. Um, So they ended up moving back to Vermont a couple years later and I put a fun fact in there. When they were moving (coughs) to Connecticut in the first place, they had like this big truckload of books and the movers were moving them and a carton broke open and all these communist books and pamphlets fell out. (gasps) So the FBI started investigating them until they left basically two years later. Really? (laughs) I was like, did I read that right? They were the subject of an FBI investigation. So, yeah. That's
0: nuts. Those
1: damn communists in yeah, the early 50s. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. So, then they went back to uh, Vermont. Originally, they couldn't find anywhere to live. Um, so, they were kind of like staying at inns and stuff. Yeah. Um, Stanley did start working back at the college in 1953. That he the had, one that he got fired from? That he from? got fired from.
0: For being too abrasive? <laughs>
1: for being too abrasive. He got to go back. Um, and around that time, uh, published in 1953, was a book that uh, Shirley had been working on for a long time, Life Among the Savages. Mm. This was not a horror mm. book. It was more along the lines of that, her other writing that she'd been doing, catering to housewives, kind of. Um, it was a humorous, fictionalized memoir about her life with four children. Mm. Um, but it was pr- really fictional, is because Savages ends with a document claiming to show evidence of a poltergeist in the home. So what? yeah, I want to read that one. That sounds fun. So um,
0: it's so it, she doesn't get away from being like no from being weird. Still, she's still doing weird stuff, she, but she's trying to have fun with it. Yeah, this one bit. is
1: less like a holding up a really brutal mirror to society and yeah. being like, the, these are the monsters that you are. This is more like, oh, I'm a, a mother of four. It's less like,
0: black mirror and more Malcolm in the middle.
1: Yes, yeah, it's got the light comic tone um, that contrasts with the pessimism and darkness yeah. and, of her other works. Um, and it was really successful. It was so successful that Shirley and Stanley were able to buy their, their first house in, oh, nice. in North Bennington. It was a really big house too. Um, and guests were always welcome. They were always coming in and having big parties of guests. Um and and Shirley liked I'm that. I'm sure
0: that, that Stanley really loved having right? guests just guests come over. stay at their place.
1: And I, I don't Shirley wasn't the party animal, obviously. She didn't mind it, but she would also like excuse herself to go right in the parties um but yeah so they continue that rotation of people coming through their home and then in 1959 haunting of hill house was published yeah so this story, for those who don't know, follows a group of people participating in a paranormal study at a haunted mansion. Yeah. Stephen King described it as one of the most important horror novels of the 20th century. Yeah. Netflix described it as something that needed to be totally redone and not follow the oh, original story at all. Hannah's gonna rant. So I didn't know that... That Netflix had made this into a series until we were talking about doing this episode. And Megan Waterman at the Book Nook was like, oh, that's, or actually, you said it. I said it. You said it. Because
0: you were like, should we do Shirley Jackson? And I was like, I have no fucking idea who that is. (laughs) And you were like, oh, she wrote The Haunting of Hill House. And I was like, I love that show on Netflix.
1: So I go home, I turn on the show. It is immediately obvious that it has nothing Nothing. to do with the real story. It has, like, four characters that have the same names from the book, but... Well,
0: okay. Yeah, it
1: has Eleanor, it has Theo, it has Luke.
0: There are... But there are parts of their characters that are all the same.
1: Yeah, because... Okay, so Theodora... Actually, that was an impressive thing about I Shirley, liked too, Yeah. because um, in The Haunting of Hill House, it's kind of implied that Theodora she's is a lesbian. lesbian,
0: yeah, and because she's got her roommate, and they get in fights, yes. but then she wants to go back and be with her roommate, Yeah. and she always talks about, oh, we do this, we do that, and we, yes, very much Which so. Which is
1: super bold for a late 1950s story. I was going to bring that
0: up if you didn't. Like,
1: that is so cool. Yeah. But Netflix takes it and makes Theo and Eleanor and Luke all siblings and they have this totally different storyline and they're not there for a, an, uh, an experiment at all. And I just don't get the freaking point. It's a great... I watched the whole series because yeah. it was really entertaining and it really was. well shot. I loved it a lot. Why didn't they just call it something else?
0: <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. I think that it was... Uh, I think the way I see it, someone wrote a script... And it was just a scary movie script or whatever. And then a producer at some point kind of came along and said, you know, we've got the rights to this haunting of Hill House thing. What if we rewrite the script to fit this? And so I think that's what they did. Honest to God, I think that's what they did. But
1: because they want like the name recognition or something, like honestly, how many of Netflix's subscribers are huge Shirley Jackson fans? I
0: think that I think that Netflix bought the rights to some Shirley Jackson stuff, and that's the first one that they did. Because they also did the Castle. We've always been in the Castle.
1: We've always lived in the Castle. Yeah, that
0: which I haven't I haven't read, I haven't watched, but I one hundred percent am going to read and am going to watch because I'm a huge fan of Shirley Jackson now. Oh, I'm so glad. Um. But I really liked what they did with the show. I thought it was a good way of modernizing it and telling a brand new story. But there's – it literally has nothing to do with with the book at all. Like, other than some of the – like, yes, Theo's a lesbian in the show. <laughs> there's a character named Nellie. And she's psychic in the show, right? And she's psychic in the book. That's it. <laughs> That's it, Right. Um there's a Eleanor, house called Hill House. <laughs> Eleanor deals with a lot of the same issues that Eleanor does in the book though. And that I do like. They really I think that the Eleanor character in the movie or in the TV show was a really well-done transition into the from the book. Um Luke literally out of nowhere left like, field
1: how did you get here first of
0: all brother I thought that they were going to hook up in the book
1: right second
0: of all <laughs> twins uh, literally nothing of that in the book and heroin addict literally nothing of that in the well, book well also
1: the fact that Netflix made theirs like 2019 like as soon as yeah. they started whipping out cell phones and like the opening scene yeah. or whatever I was like oh yep this is not the same story and then
0: and then Steven I think Steven is the older brother right yeah and then I can't even remember the older sister's name
1: Oh God, uh Shirley. Well, in the show, Shirley. Was yeah. it really yeah. Shirley?
0: Oh, well that's good. Yeah, that's good. Right? Cool. <laughs> um but like those characters were out of nowhere. Like yeah. they didn't even they didn't even have the doctor uh, Montague in there.
1: Well, yeah, because it wasn't a story about people going to a house for a psychic well, but experiment. Like they could
0: have had the older brother be like they could have oh, transitioned yeah. those characters, and then the the Montague's wife could have transitioned into the older sister. I literally think that this was a completely different story that they created, and then they they supplemented it into uh haunting of hill yeah. house. Yeah.
1: And they pulled like a few passages of the book like yeah. The Cup of Stars.
0: Exactly. Uh,
1: and turned it into some like because weird
0: Because even even the, in the end of the show, it's a completely different resolution for what the house represents compared to what the book the house represents. Mm-hmm. Completely different. And so it it's it's not the same <laughs> no. story at all. But it's,
1: it's really good. It's really good. I I like the show. So you should read the book. You should watch the show. You should totally like disentangle the two before you watch yeah. the show. Just look yeah. at it like a totally different show. Or one hundred percent. Like I said, don't stress the, yourself out. The
0: nineteen ninety nine version of the movie or of the the movie version is closer to the book, and it sucks. <laughs> But it's going to give you a better idea of the characters than the actual TV show will.
1: So if if we're done ranting about the Netflix one, uh, so the book was a financial and critical triumph from the beginning. It didn't make the bestseller list, but it sold better than any of her prior novels, and it got optioned for a movie by director Robert Wise, who did The Sound of Music, weirdly. Um, mm. And it so that's the version the 1963 version of the movie is the one that pretty much everyone agrees is the best one i haven't seen that um so i don't know for sure but everyone everyone in the in the critical world seems to say that that is the the penalty or the the ultimate uh adaptation of the haunting or yeah haunting of hill house so if you're gonna watch one watch that one also the Netflix series. Um, but by the time that that movie would come out in 1963, Shirley would barely be able to make it to New York for the premiere. Because uh, around this time, she started suffering from really bad health problems. Yeah. So she was overweight, she was a chronic smoker, mm. uh, which led to asthma, pain, and even fainting spells. Um, her doctor also gave her depressants to help with her anxiety and agoraphobia. And she was taking amphetamines off and on to try to lose weight. So that was probably uh, contributed, contributing to her anxiety. Um, and she confided to friends at that time that she felt patronized in her role as a faculty wife and yeah. ostracized by the townspeople of North Bennington. Um, and so this kind of all just piled on and led to her increasing abuse of alcohol, tranquilizers, and amphetamines. So yeah. she was a mess.
0: Yeah. And, and, it's, and it's sad. And you can even see a little bit of that... Um, in her writing in The Haunting of Hill House because there's Eleanor coming to the village and, like, everybody hates talking about Hill Mm -hmm. House and they're very standoffish. And when she goes in, there's this paranoia that Eleanor has sitting in the diner and, like, the townspeople are, like, they have something, an inside joke or something, and she's really concerned about it. Yep. Um, and
1: she's I, really concerned with her own relationships with the other people in the house, too. Yeah. She's always concerned that they're rejecting her, forgetting always. about her.
0: Yeah. Um, or when she is in the spotlight, she hates that they're, they're putting her in the spotlight. They're making her be in the spotlight, and she hates being in it. But she doesn't want to be forgotten. And yeah. it's like this back and forth this paranoia thing that she has going on and and I, and I hate to come back to this same book but I genuinely love it because I've never read gothic horror before I, I just haven't the closest I've ever gotten is I've watched Northanger Abbey with Rebecca it's a Jane Austen book oh really and uh, yeah and it's and the character the main character is obsessed with gothic horror books um, and so like, I'm interested through that, the idea of Gothic, but I've never actually picked up a, a book and read it until I read this. And you see that with the massive house, with the paranoia, with the spiritualism, with, um, the fact that there, there genuinely is something scary happening in the house. But ultimately the scariest thing that's happening in the book is the degradation of the person Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and it's i i i mean i fucking loved it i know i'm not supposed to be cursing but i loved this gothic horror book and i loved the way that she she implemented the the terror that goes into it it's so much better to me than any other scary movie and i think that's why the haunting of hill house tv show works so well under its name because it tries to do the same thing it does jump scares but it tries to deal more with the breaking apart of a person
1: the the wearing down of their sanity basically
0: yeah so that 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 was was a good point that was the end of my rant on that book
1: (laughs) well no i mean if you like that you'll probably like um her her next and final novel we Have Always Lived in the Castle. Yeah. Um, so she had continued to uh, write and publish several works into the 60s. Um, we Have Always Lived in the Castle uh, was pretty fitting for what she was going through at the time. It features one extremely agoraphobic older sister who has not left the house in six years yeah. and her younger sister who only leaves the house to get necessities from town. So it's got kind of that um, estranged, you know, resented by the townsfolk thing. And they're yeah. resented because of, at the beginning, some unspecified tragedy that killed their entire family except for their uncle um, six years ago. Yeah. So uh, that this was her only book to hit the bestseller list. It got rave reviews. Um, there's a movie adaptation that came out last year that you had mentioned earlier. It um, has gotten mixed reviews because some people think it's boring, but fans of the novel seem to like it a lot because it's pretty. F- it's it's really faithful to the novel. Um, and everyone seems to agree that the acting was great, so I'll have to watch this at some point.
0: This is the Netflix one?
1: I don't know if it was Netflix, or because it came out last year, and it's like a movie. Huh. So I, I didn't look for it on Netflix to see if I could watch it. I didn't have time, but um, it's... Oh, my gosh. I can't remember any of the actors' names off the top of my head. I'm so bad. Uh, it looks really good, like, there's, well-produced.
0: There's this one movie, and I, I don't know why I'm reminded of this movie from shirley jackson's writing but it's called i'm the pretty thing that lives in the house
1: i don't know if i've heard of that
0: it's so bad
1: oh god it's so
0: bad and i'm 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 worried that from what you're describing here that it's it's gonna be a lot of the same because it's so fucking boring and and it's supposed to be scary but literally one scary thing happens in it and it's like Set up to more scary things, but that's it. And then, like, and then the very end, something happens, and you're like, Really? That's well, what we've been waiting for this whole time?
1: Well, I can see that happening here because even if you did like a completely faithful adaptation of uh, The Haunting of Hill House, it wouldn't be super scary. Right. And having read, it's been a couple of years since i read We Have Always Lived in the Castle, but it's not super scary. It's more like creepy. Yeah. And, and, it doesn't have the jump I, scares that we're used to. I
0: think that there's a difference between doing creepy interesting and doing creepy, creepy boring. boring. And I think the the thing about I am the pretty thing that lives in the house or whatever is it was it was boring and nothing happened and there was no point to it. Mm. Um, but with what she's writing and maybe it's something that only does well as a book Because you're with the character and you're in the character's head. Um, I think it's just, it it works so much more for me because I'm more interested (laughs) in this character.
1: Yeah, right. Um, So, yeah. So, if you guys have have seen the movie adaptation, let us know if you you like it or not, if it's worth us watching. (laughs) Yeah. But, yeah. So, I really enjoyed the book. um, And I think you will, too. Uh, But Shirley was not enjoying life at this time. Sure. Uh, the winter of 62 to 63, uh, she would start to shake and everything would spin when she tried to leave the house. She started to suffer from delusions that even she knew were irrational. So she was paranoid about like what the postman thought about her and stuff. Oh, geez. Um, and she wasn't really writing it all around this time. Um, the psychological aspects of her illness did respond well to therapy. Um, so a couple of years later, by 1964, she began to resume some of her normal activities, um, including a round of speaking engagements at writers' conventions. Uh, she also wrote three new stories and was even planning a new novel, um, which was to be a major departure from the style and subject matter of her previous works. Unfortunately, we would never see that finished Oh. because, spoiler alert, she died on August 8th. Nineteen sixty five from heart failure. She went upstairs to take her normal post lunch nap. Several hours later, Stanley tried to wake her up and couldn't. So very sad. She only lived to be forty eight.
0: Mm. Well, so I mean when young. you're when you're taking as many drugs and things as she is, like she was, you're not gonna make it that much longer. She
1: was taking a lot of drugs and <coughs> Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's 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 not a surprise. No. You know.
1: And yeah, she she was not a healthy, healthy person. Um, So that was really sad. Uh, uh, Her her death was actually like news. Like there was something on CBS, I guess, um, when she died. People were sending condolence letters from all over who were fans of her work. So, yeah, I mean, she she was not an author who went totally unrecognized in her lifetime. Um, But so so that was nice to see that, you know. Yeah. The, the world noticed when she died. She didn't die, you know, anonymously. Right. Um, but I have to throw this in. Stanley is a freaking douche nozzle
0: because... <laughs> you haven't <laughs> capitalized that whole <laughs> sentence right there in our
1: freaking notes. he's such an asshole. A year after Jackson's death, he married a woman named Phoebe Pettingill, who had been a classmate of his daughter what? and his student at Bennington College. She wrote him a condolence letter after Shirley died and that's how they connected. What? Hey, real sorry
0: that your wife died. Just so you know, I'm open. I always thought also, you were hot, old I'm dude. I'm your daughter's age.
1: <laughs> like what? I hate Remember him so much. Remember the daughter that
0: you had with your wife? Yeah, now that she's dead, you can hook up with this chick.
1: And they had a kid, but Stanley died three months before he was born.
0: Oh, shit. Because Stanley was super
1: unhealthy this whole time, too. Oh, no way. Yeah. He's he's what?
0: So he's 50 years old when he has his last kid and dies? Yeah, he's a
1: grandpa dad, but also dead. Grandpa dad. (laughs) (laughs) Right?
0: Oh, man.
1: So yeah, Stanley Jeez. staying true to who he is until the very end. The
0: very end. <laughs> the yeah, the very end. He's not even around <laughs> for that last kid. Right. Very hands off, Dad.
1: Very. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> he was not going to do any parenting from beyond. Do you
0: think maybe that could be a good a good story? Is Shirley Jackson? It's a gothic novel about Shirley Jackson coming back and killing her husband that, for. <laughs> having a kid with somebody else and he dies three months before it's born that's a very shirley jackson type maybe thing to she happen. did
1: that except i think she was cremated and isn't that supposed to keep like ghosts from coming back i don't
0: know I why don't aren't care. you an
1: expert on this i i got
0: <laughs> the bible and i got some samurai stuff hannah uh,
1: that's all you got <laughs> but on a lighter note than stanley being a douche nozzle yeah uh, for several years, North Bennington, Vermont, the, the town where they lived and were never accepted, uh, has honored Shirley's legacy by celebrating Shirley Jackson Day around June 27th, which is the day the story of the lottery took place. Oh,
0: so but they're not doing the lottery, are they? I
1: really hope not. Like, no. they're
0: like, yeah, we're celebrating. I'm doing air quotes right now. We're celebrating Shirley Jackson. Do not go to (laughs) Don't go there on
1: June 27th. But I think that's kind of nice. It shows how society evolves. Is that this town that like the people there never liked her or her family? Yeah. Now they... Celebrate her legacy because she's the coolest thing to come from North Bennington, yeah, Vermont. Yeah, that's ever. all they got. That's all they got. <laughs> she wrote all these creepy and agoraphobic
0: stories, witch,
1: right? <laughs> <laughs> Who wrote stories about evil townsfolk killing people just for being different than them yeah, or how for some weird. ritual? Jeez, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I the thing that I like about Shirley Jackson the most is that, you know, she she was doing all of this at a time when the primary thing that women were supposed to be was a mom. Like, there was one story about how when she went to the hospital to give uh, to give birth to her third child, the clerk on the intake form asked what her occupation was, and she said, writer, and the clerk said, I'll just put housewife. So, Jeez. yeah, so Shirley Jackson, she was really, like, blazing a trail at this time, um, going up against the odds, and I think that was really cool. And she was kind of navigating these treacherous waters of being a good mom who loved her kids and also being like an academic literary type. Yeah. So uh, I I think she's pretty cool. I like that. It's pretty cool. Oh, and there was, not to make uh, Stanley seem really positive in any way, but <laughs> I mean Stanley was the one who always really saw Shirley's work insightfully, and he hated that she didn't get as much recognition during her lifetime as he thought she deserved. She never won any awards or anything. So he wrote something right after her death um, that said, quote, for all her popularity, Shirley Jackson won surprisingly little recognition. She received no awards or prizes, grants or fellowships, Her name was often omitted from lists on which it clearly belonged. I think that the future will find her powerful visions of suffering and inhumanity increasingly significant and meaningful, and that Shirley Jackson's work is among the small body of literature produced in our time that seems apt to survive.
0: Now, I'm going to see you guys later. I got to go fuck a little girl.
1: But, <laughs> <Right>, no. <laughs> I don't think you want that going in the No, oh,
0: okay, oh, okay. So, yeah. I, was, I just, is that just how I interpreted that? Right. No, yeah.
1: discounting what he did pretty much immediately, immediately after Immediately after he wrote that. That's, see, that's why she loved him, because he could write shit like that. Yeah, <laughs> And did. be like, that oh. That is nice. I mean,
0: it's good to be recognized for that. Yeah.
1: And I, he was right about her, her work. Like, yeah. It it survived a lot more than other writers of the same era who were much more respected at the time than she was.
0: Uh, yeah. I, and I think that Shirley Jackson's work is underrated even in our own time. I had no idea. I had no idea about this writer and I'm really happy that you brought her to my attention. Um, I think that someone like my mom could be highly, highly influenced by her. Um, because my mom has always talked about being a writer, but she's always had to be a mom, um, except for times when she wasn't. But that's a whole nother story. And then um, but like, but I think that it's it's interesting how some, this is exactly what the point of the show is, is that people's lives are just as much of an inspiration as the work that they did. Mm-hmm. And And I loved reading House on Haunted Hill or uh, Haunting of Hill House um and I'm really really happy about it
1: yeah and yeah. I I hope you enjoy some of her other stuff I'm definitely gonna read some more of her stuff uh, yeah like the road through the wall because I think that sounds amazing maybe I'll read some of her her fictionalized her um, stuff. yeah <laughs> memoirs. savages yeah
0: um on that note we're gonna we're gonna start coming to a wrap but we have a special special message from someone uh that I want to play now so uh Cameron, can you go ahead and bring that up? You got to double click it.
2: Oh, yeah. Meow, yeah, meow. Yeah. Onyx the Fortuitous here. <laughs> yeah. There's some shakas for my boy. <laughs> yeah. And shakas for Hannah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, this is from Tyler. Yeah. And I just wanted to say, I love your podcast. Yeah, between Lewis and Lovecraft. I don't know. Yeah, I, I listen to it all the time, uh, and if anybody else wants to listen to it, uh, just go to LewisLovecraft.weebly.com. Yeah, I'm just hanging with my boy, Smiling Francis. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, me and Smiling Francis always listen to your podcast between Lewis and Lovecraft. <laughs> uh, you know my favorite thing about uh, Lovecraft? Uh, Cthulhu, because yeah, uh, Cthulhu's got all those.
1: Oh my! <laughs> got God. all those
2: tentacles, and I just picture them kind of coming up from a. Uh, from underground and wrapping themselves around me and, I don't know, squeezing my body so tight. <laughs> so tight I can feel Cthulhu all throughout my soul. Yeah, I don't know. Between Lewis and Lovecraft, is pretty cool.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. Tyler did not tell me this is happening. No, and I'm so that glad. That is a complete surprise. Oh, my God.
0: <laughs> so that is our celebrity endorsement of the week. That was uh, Onyx the Fortuitous, <laughs> also known as uh, Andy Bowser in real life.
1: Oh my god!
0: Um, he's one of my absolute favorite, favorite, favorite uh, content creators on YouTube. He has a he had a show called um, Oh man, <laughs> what was it? Uh, Bizarre States. Um, oh, I heard that. About... Yeah, uh, I. It's one of the inspirations yeah. for our show. One hundred percent. Uh, and then him and uh, Jessica are coming back with a new show called um, Spooky Shit
1: nice. um,
0: where it's kind of they're picking up uh, a lot of the stuff that they left off with Bizarre States I think I'm really excited about it but Andy does a lot of really cool videos on, on YouTube and That character Onyx the Fortuitous is one hundred percent my favorite character out there.
1: I just like can't look away from his weird stick, scary mask, dude.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He's so awkward and fun, and um, yeah. So if you're listening to the show, I'll I'll definitely have shared the video. uh, Probably, probably the day that this episode comes out, Um, so you can go to our Instagram. uh, Lewis and is it Lewis and Lovecraft?
1: Yeah. Yes. Lewis Lewis. and Lovecraft spelled out and
0: at Lewis and Lovecraft Instagram, so you can watch the video there of of Onyx the Fortuitous giving us a shout out. And seriously, thank you, Andy. It was it was so good. I know my instructions were super weird. I wrote literally a whole script that I wanted him to write because he does these super awesome epic rants that I was like so inspired. I wrote it out, but the website that I went to where I could ask him to do this it was like 200 characters and it was like, my thing was like 2000 characters long. So there this was no is, way it was going to fit.
1: This is mine and Tyler's like main difference is that <laughs> Tyler will write for freaking ever. Yeah. And I'm just like a two sentence type person. Yeah.
0: So uh, Andy, seriously, thank you so much for that shout out. Even though my instructions were super awkward and weird. Um, I appreciate it. And uh,
1: yeah. Oh, I was just going to do the normal wrap. Yeah, up Yeah, let's do it.
0: Let's wrap it up.
1: Uh, as As Tyler mentioned, Instagram at Lewis and Lovecraft. Uh, you can find us also on Facebook. Uh, our website, Lewis and will take you to our
0: pod. Our Podbean. Pod yeah.
1: Um. And if
0: you go to the lewislovecraftweebly.com, that's our website. Uh, we don't update it much, but you can see more pictures of who we are.
1: Yeah. If you're wondering <laughs> about those disembodied voices. Yeah. Um, and as always, we want to ask you guys to rate and review us yeah. on whatever platform you listen to, it, to us on, especially iTunes, um, and also tell a friend.
0: Tell a friend. Seriously. And and I know we talk about this every time, but guys, we're, we're getting to a point where we've, we've been doing this for six months almost, and... Uh, More, more than six months, actually. And, you know, it'd be nice to to see a little bit of growth coming from that. And we are starting to see a little bit, um, but it it takes almost no time for you guys to just tell someone about it. If you like this show, if you like an episode, share it with a friend and and tell them about it. And you never know, maybe, you know, you might... Get someone who can share it to 10 people and, and really help us out So We don't have a Patreon, we don't have a way to pay us Right now, it's just about spreading the word
1: Spread the word And, and finally, well we always want to thank our friend Jake Bassin, Jake Bassin.
0: Bra, 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 bra. He, Where can they find him?
1: They can find him on SoundCloud He did our amazing intro music that we love so much uh, You can find him at Jake Bassin B-A-S-S-E-N uh, On SoundCloud
0: I have still not gotten any recommendations on what to call you listeners. (laughs) Literally silence from everyone. So I'm going to go ahead and call you all the quiet people.
1: That's super catchy. I think it'll really... (laughs) The quiet people. All right,
0: quiet people. This is where we're going to say goodbye. So uh, stay silent out there, y'all.
1: Peace out.